we can never be accused of being organized religion around here. I mean, we might be a lot of things, but we're not organized. By the way, you know what? You, you did a good job this morning. I, I know you embarrassed your parents, but boy, you did good. <laughs> I noticed the red color in your parents' face changed a little brighter, but uh, you did a good job. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. Our associate pastor, Jeff, is uh, helping the uh, Finley River Cowboy Church. They're, pastor, they're without pastor right now, so he's down there helping them. So you've got your, your staff working in two different cowboy churches today. We want to reach out to that Finley River Church as they're going through crisis of pastoral change, et cetera, and, and pray for them and bless them if any of them are watching this morning. We're, today I am preaching through uh, the Old Testament, the places I'm now that I have found myself is in the book of Judges. So if you'd like to go with us and follow along, I normally when I preach a sermon, you're able to follow along in, in your Bibles verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and that's how I normally preach. But when you get to the book of Judges, there's so much story being told and that I, I want to go and go back to more of a storytelling sort of preaching style instead of verse by verse, word by word. So that's what we'll be doing today. I tell you that. So that when, I, when I'm running along here and jumping from 4, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, you'll, you'll understand that, uh, that you can, and I hope you can keep up with me. Now, today I need to tell you also <clears throat> that this sermon will be a little bit um, uncomfortable for some of you, um, it, and I apologize for that. I certainly don't ever want to hurt your, your feelings, but you know how I am and how I preach that if it's in the Bible and it, the Bible says it, then I'm going to preach it that way. And if it upsets you, I apologize. Uh, but I just want you to know that the Bible is not wishy-washy, and I don't want to be either. So, uh, again, I apologize. And if you need a church somewhere that is more comfortable for you to, to be a part of, go to that one. But, but this, is how I, this is how I'm going to be. I'm going to preach the Word of God, and if it's uncomfortable, then it is. That's just a problem. For you, I guess. Today, the title of the message is Unexpected Outcomes. Um, uh, it's, or how many of you are in uh, fantasy football? How many of you do fantasy football? Anybody? My daughter is playing fantasy football with about, I don't know, 10 or 15 guys, and she's whipping them. I'm proud of her. In Judges 4, 5, and 6, unexpected outcomes. The reason I talked about that is, is uh, today we're going to be talking about people that you would, the least expected draft choices. These guys, you wouldn't put them on your team. You wouldn't want to play with them. They, uh, they're people that you would pick others first, obviously. <clears throat> There's a cute commercial. I don't know if you've seen it. It's these kids are having a pickup game of basketball outside. They're playing on a court, and there's this. there's the kids picking out the head, he's a, the leader, and he's picking out from a pool of kids standing over here. And they're all saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. And in the middle of it is Shaquille O'Neal. Have you all seen that commercial? Shaquille O'Neal is in the middle of the kids. And, and he's, pick me, pick me, pick me. Well, he's obviously the one you would pick, right? Okay. Today, these are less obvious. These people are less. They wouldn't be the first ones you'd want on their team. Two of them are women, and two of them are wimpy men. Now, I already have hurt some people's feelings, all right? I know that. I'm not saying women are wimpy uh, or women are less 
powerful than men. Um, but today we're going to be dealing with, with, the, with this issue of, of, well, let's just be honest, the role of women in churches and role of women in homes and the role of women in culture and society. A little bit. It's not the heart of the sermon, but we're going to have to deal with it a little bit. So let me ask you a very hard question. Does God use women? And the answer is, well, yeah. Does God use timid men? Yeah, he does. But the real surprise for me is that he chooses any of us to use. Are you with me? That's the big surprise, that he would pick you or me and, and use us in his kingdom work. Without explanation, hesitation, or rationalization, or whatever, the Bible has a very distinct role for men and a very distinct role for women. They, they're well-defined. They're well clear, clearly laid out for us to see that God knows what he's doing. And so I know a lot of modern woke sensibilities are going to flinch today at this, but it is God who made male and female. It is God. It's not me. It's not you. It's not culture. It's not our society. It's God who made us as we are and put us here on this earth. Listen carefully to me. Listen. Not one of, neither of the sexes is superior to the other, and neither of the sexes are, is inferior to the other. They're equal in God's sight. Uh, so you don't need to be uh, uh, alarmed or uh, take an excuse. I can't work for the Lord because I'm a man or I'm a woman. Well, that simply is, is not good. They're just not one's better than the other. They're just different, and that's the way God made this, made us. The overarching rule. Now, I know I can get my Bible and prove specific details and quote chapter and verse, and I can prove this, and you can take your Bible and quote chapter and verse and prove this. But the overarching truth that you get in the Bible, as you read it all together, and you realize that, is that there is a role for women, and that role generally is of nurture. And there's a role for men, which usually is of leadership. That is the generalized rule of man and woman. Now, again, there are times that men step up and do nurture work, or women do uh, the other leadership work. We just, that does change. Biblical women, uh, well, everybody, not just biblical women, but everybody realizes that a, a home, a household, a home, cannot have two heads, right? Anything with two heads is a monster. Somebody needs to kill it, right? All right. So a home cannot have two heads, and God knew this. It was God's idea. God brought Eve to Adam. It was God's plan to, to do this, and he knows that one of them has to be in subjection to the other. Now, I want you to know my wife has told me I can be the head of the home. But she reserves being neck to herself. And she says, I can turn the head wherever I want to turn it. <laughs> I'm, of course, I'm preaching, right? <laughs> a small man came to the door. A salesman was there, and he'd, he'd been knocking on doors trying to sell his product. And this young man came to the door. He had an obvious red welt across his face, obvious red welt where he'd been hit by something. And his hair was kind of disheveled, and his shirt may have been torn a little bit. And the salesman was pretty perceptive, and he just stepped back a little bit, and he said, um, could I speak to the head of the home? And the little man said, 
That's just what my wife and I were discussing. <laughs> can a man do a woman's job? Sure. Sure a man can do a woman's job. Uh, men, you can do a woman's job if you have to, can't you? Nothing wrong, doesn't hurt you. And women, can you do a man's job? Of course you can do a man's job. Is it wrong for a man to do a woman's job? No. Is it wrong for a woman to do a man's job? No. Of course not. In the kingdom of God, all of us are equal. All of us are equal. Uh, even though we're specially and uniquely different, we're equal in God's eyes. Most churches would not have survived the first few years of the church life were it not for women. I mean, let's get honest. Who's kept all these churches open all these years around the community? Let me tell you also, the cowboy church has primarily been a man's church. Did you know that? Look around the room. Look around the room. And I I guarantee you, you won't find the percentage of men on a Sunday morning in church anywhere else in Missouri. Or let's, let's just, let's come down a little bit. Green County. You'll never find a church anywhere with as many men in relationship to women in the church. This is a man's church. And I think part of the reason for that is that, that that's part of the reason God has blessed this church and given it the strength that's given it and let it go down through the ages as well as it's gone because men attend this church and men are here. Something about the cowboy ethic or the uh, whatever draws them, and, and that's wonderful. I'm so glad you men are here. We need men. We need women, of course, but we need men. Can a woman be the spiritual head of a home? Yes, when the man won't. All right? Yeah, the woman can, women can be wonderful spiritual heads of their home, but when God has a man and a woman in a house together, it is the man who needs to be the spiritual leader of that home. And um, if you want to back that up by the Bible, you start reading Paul and the Pauline letters, and he's very, very legalistic, very detailed, uh, he, where women should be in the church and where they should be in the home and all that. But Jesus just glided by it with hardly ever mentioning it or talking about it. I'm not saying that we follow Christ and not Paul. I, don't get me wrong. I believe the whole Bible is inspired and the inspired word of God and much for us to know. But Jesus picked 12 men to follow him. But guess, if you read the story, you realize he picked 12, but there was a lot of women that followed too. You're right in there. The Marys and the Marthas and the Salome's and the on and on and on. They were just a lot of women around the early church, and they're very, very important. I think even Paul himself softened his stance over in Galatians when he said, So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ today. We are one in Christ. The Cowboy Church, Soccer River Cowboy Church, is a church that allows men and women to lead. We, we will let a woman lead anywhere that God, had, God puts her, and we'll let men lead. We, we are... We're that way. That's the way we've been from the very beginning. We have women on our board. Uh, we have women who have preached from our pulpits. And, uh, of course, then men as well. And I think God is blessing the cowboy church, even though that's anecdotal and you can't make a case of it. But I think God is blessing this church. Now, today, in our study, uh, we're going to compare and contrast uh, some people. Two of them are women. Two of them are men. 
We're going to follow them through. None of them would be your first draft choice, but we're going to look at their life and uh, follow them through. You're going to meet a couple of people that aren't yet into the program, but I didn't want to skip them. I wanted you to have a little bit of the history as we go through it to understand what's going on in the judges. Last week, we left off with the, the tribe of Judah leading the fight to conquer the land. Now, today we're going to pick up with a, a judge by the name of Othniel, and he's going to be leading uh, and delivering Israel from the, the hand of the giant king of Aram. After eight years, eight years, he, the giant king has been oppressing the people. Then we're going to pick up with Ehud, the left-handed judge, who went into battle against Eglon, the giant king of Moab, and because this has been going on for 18 years. So let me tell you about Ehud. I've got to tell this story. It's so funny especially if you're a man. This is a man story. It's a war-fighting story. You like war-fighting stories, man? I do. Well, Ehud was left-handed, and he uh, that was unusual, apparently, in his day for fighters. So, for instance, if you're going to fight with a guy, you wouldn't watch for his left hand. You'd watch for his right hand, okay? Everybody with me? So Ehud was a left-handed fighter, and so he went to this giant king named Eglon, and he worked out an agreement with him, I think it was kind of a ruse. I don't think he really worked it out. But he went in and talked to him, kind of got some agreement going. Then he said to his army, or his, his men who were with him, his squad that was with him, he said, you guys head on back home, I'll catch up. And he told Ehud, send all your guys out too, because you and I need to talk privately. Okay? So they did that. Here's the big fat king, Ehud, a giant. We don't know how big he was. But if you read the story of, of, of Samson and some of those others, you realize he could have been a 10-footer. Uh, he was, you know, he was big, but he was also big around. How do we know how big around he was? <laughs> Ehud had an 18-inch sword hidden. It was concealed and carried with him. He'd taken the course. And on his left-hand side, he had an 18-inch sword. And so he reached out his right hand to the giant king Ehud to give him something or to shake his hand, we don't know. And when the king reached out with his right hand, he came in with his left hand and buried an 18-inch sword in his belly. And the Bible says, very, very uh, graphic what the Bible says, and, and uh, the hilt of the sword went in and, and lo- he lost it. 18 inches in, and it didn't come out the back. I don't think we could get him in a 32 pair of Levi's, do you? 32-inch pair. He's not, they're going to have to have bigger than that. So he was a big old boy, and this 18-inch sword lost in him. Sorry, ladies. We'll get back to a lady's story here in a minute. Okay. Now, the next guy that comes on, the next judge, is Shamgar, and he's the next judge, and he goes to war with the Philistines, and that fight's going on. Just a little history and a geography, and then we're going to get in the sermon, get to going here. If you were here last week, you remember that the people up in the hill country, Jerusalem, Bethel, up in, Ai, up in the hill country, they fought differently. They, they fought on foot. You get down into the valley, out toward the Mediterranean, flat country, and they fight with a different technology. They have ironclad chariots. So now the Philistines are who we're fighting now. They're in the ironclad chariots out in the, the flat country heading toward the... Um, Mediterranean. They're going to fight against five uh, Philistine cities, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. Five Philistine cities out on the Mediterranean, <clears throat> and they're fighting against them. 
Shamgar goes against them and kills. We don't know if he just, whether it was by himself. I, I, it's, the Bible tells the story like it was about him and himself. But some, I don't know, the, but the Bible says he kills 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Okay, what's an ox goad? Eh, just a whip, a, a stick. You'd, as you plowed with an ox, you'd hit him on the back. You know, move, go, go, go. Or, you know, if he wouldn't go, you'd goad him a little bit. But you get the point. It was just a, a whip sort of thing. It says he killed 600 Philistines with that. Wow. Good job, man. He must have been kung fu or something, you know. <clears throat> Samson did something like that, if you remember, with a jawbone of, a, of an ass. Remember that? Something like that. Okay, are we ready? Let me get into the sermon now. First, I want you to meet the first unexpected draft choice, and that is Deborah. She's a she's a. She's a she, Deborah. Uh, Ehud died here, the, the killed by the, well, he's the one who killed the, the giant. Ehud finally died, uh, and uh, Yabin was the, the guy's name. He was the Canaanite, and he, he was from Hatzor. And Yabin had been pestering the Israelis for 20 years now. And he was king over an army with iron-fitted chariots, you got it, living on the plain. The head of his army was named Sisera. Yabin's general was Sisera. And so God called Deborah to be a judge, this, this lady. Uh, she was a very strong and powerful woman already before God ever started working with her because she is, was a judge. She was a judge. So she was making decisions. She was doing political things. She was sitting in court, etc. And she served as a prophetess as well. She was preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, and was a judge in her own right. She lived near Bethel, up in the high country. So Deborah carried this resume. She was a prophet. She was a wife. She was a mother. Chapter 5 talks about her being a mother. She was a judge. She's a military strategist. And she was an army commander. She's some lady to deal with, right? Some lady, a powerful lady. So the Canaanites under Yabin at, at Hatzor, they could not be tolerated anymore. And, and God was trying to get somebody to stand up, some Jew. Jew. Hey, come on, stand up and be judge. Stand up and take the army and go fight against Yabin at Hatzor. And nobody would. Nobody would stand up. God turned to, uh, uh, so God turned to this guy named Barak. He turned to Barak and to Deborah. But first, let's stay with Deborah, he, and I'll get to Barak in a second. He, he turned to Deborah and said, Deborah, I want you to lead the army. And, of course, she was willing to do so. She then, Deborah, went out and enlisted Barak, not Obama, but Barak. She got her a Barak, okay. And he was from Kadesh, and uh, <laughs> she got him to lead the armies of the Naphtali, which is the tribe of Israel, and uh, and they led... And here's what she said. I want you to take the tribe of Naphtali and their armies, and I want you to go down to the river Tabor, and I want you to camp down there and kind of hide. And I'm going to take my army. Deborah said, I'll take my army, and I'll go up, and we'll get Sisera from Yabin up, up in the northern, up by the coast, and I'll have him follow. In other words, I'll fight him up there, and I'll act like I'm losing, and I'll run to the Tabor River. And, and he'll follow me down there. And then we'll have two armies. And we'll whip up on uh, Yabin and Sisera down by the, by the river. So that's what happened. And then poor little 
Barack, poor little Barack. Bless his little heart. He's afraid to go by himself. He said, I can't go alone, Deborah. I just can't do this. I'm too wimpy, I guess. He didn't say that, but he said, if you'll go with me, I'll go. So he was kind of a mama's baby, don't you think? I, I, I think he was a little light on testosterone, but that's, you know, that may be a little sensitive to say that. I don't know. But he did not go. He, he insisted that Deborah go with him. So, but Deborah said, I'll go with you, but dude, you got to know one thing. If I go with you, history will record it, my win. You won't get any credit out of this. And, you know, he's, he's right. So they went, and they both went down to the river, Tab, uh, Tabor, and set up the ambush down there. I don't know how they got Sisera to come down and fight, but they did. He came down with his army and, and fought with them. And it wasn't a small fight. Sisera had 900 chariots with him. So that's a big deal. This is not clan fighting. This is a big deal. Okay, then the battle got started. And now I want you to meet the third unexpected draft choice. First one is Deborah. Second one was Barak. The third that God chose, which you wouldn't expect it, was a little girl, not a little girl, but a lady whose name was Yael, J-A-E-L. She was a Kenite. Now you say, okay, why are you giving me all this detail? Who cares? She was a Kenite. All right. You will care when I run you back in history just a little ways. Moses, Moses, Red Sea, okay? Everybody shake your head. Got you. I got Moses. Moses back in Egypt, 40 years as the prince of Egypt. Then he left for 40 years and he went somewhere else, remember, in the desert. He fell in love with and married a Kenite woman. Jael, Jael was a Kenite. This is Moses' in-laws. Are you all with me now? Okay. Now, so this battle gets going, and uh, the, the, the giant Sisera, something happened to his chariot, and he was off of his chariot, and he took off running. He started running through the woods, through the wilderness, whatever, and he came to Yael's tent, the Kenite woman's tent, the in-laws of Moses' tent. He came to her tent, and he went inside, and she said, come on in, I'll hide you. So he went in, and she threw a rug over him on the floor. And whenever she got him on the floor, the Bible says he went to sleep. He must have been really tired of, of running, and I'm sure he was after he'd been fighting and, and running. And so then Yael got a tent peg and drove it through his head into the ground. It ruined his whole day. <clears throat> about the time... about. <laughs> about about the time, about the time Yael had driven the tape, pegged through his head, guess who shows up? Barack. Poor little Barack shows up. He's a day late and a dollar short, but he finally he finally shows up. So let's let's see if we can remember this. We got Deborah leading an army, Yael killing a giant, and Barack he was also there. Well, he was just there. I mean, come on. That's, that was funny. I, for the first two services, that's been funny. Yeah, I'm sorry. <clears throat> nah, come on. Now, in Judges chapter 5, we're not going to deal with it much. It's the song of Deborah and Barak. It really, I didn't want to, I'm not going to preach it, but if you have time, you might want to read it. It is a precious story because 
you'll get so many good biblical details, history, connections are made in this song. You won't get any other place. So read it sometime. Get Judges 5. Now, let's go to the last one. We've got five minutes, and I'm going to go to the last one. I'll only get started with the fourth draft choice today, but next week we'll spend our time with the draft choice, and his name is Gideon. Next week we'll deal with Gideon. The fourth unexpected draft choice. Now, why is he an unexpected draft choice? Well, first of all, the cycle is starting again. What's the cycle? Down, up, down, up. They're with the Lord. They're, against, it's, they're up and down. They're up and down. And the cycle has been going now, and they're seven years into the bottom cycle. For seven years, the Midianites have been making the Jews' lives miserable for seven years. It's so miserable, they can't plant crops. They can't raise cattle because when they plant a crop, the Midianites will come in, harvest their crop before they get to them, and eat it all up, kill their animals, eat them all up. And the Jews have nothing. I mean, they're struggling, the whole nation, starving and struggling. I could go into that more, but let's, we'll say that for next week. They were living in caves and hideouts. Um, it was awful. And they cried out to the Lord. They, and by the way, that's always a good thing to do when you're in trouble, crying out to the Lord. And God sent them a prophet to remind them of what God had said all the way back in Egypt. And so this prophet came and he said, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. Now let's go back and look carefully at who this was. This was the angel of the Lord speaking. Now, you all followed me last week. We did a little bit of dig, deep diving in this. We found out that the angel of the Lord was Jesus Christ himself in a pre-birth incarnation. This was Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem. He said, that's not possible. Well, yeah, he's God. He can do anything he wants to do. Time is nothing to him. He can go forward or backward in it. So this is Jesus. And he comes. <laughs> this is where the story gets precious and wonderful. He comes to Gideon. Now, you've got to know this guy, Gideon. What's he doing? First of all, now this is very carefully. Gideon, in fact, I may just read it to you. No, I don't have it down. Okay. But he was trying to, uh, make, trying to thresh wheat in a wine press. Did that sink in? He was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, okay, when you thresh wheat in the ancient world, you would clear off a place on the top of a hill where the wind blows. You would take your wheat up there, and you'd take an ox and a big wheel or whatever, and they'd walk around it, and they'd crush the grain, knock the chaff off of the grain. Then they'd get up there with big old shovels or whatever, and they'd throw it up in the air. And the light chaff would blow away, and the heavy grain would fall. That was how they winnowed it, it's called, or how they threshed it. So you do that on top of a hill. Are everybody following me? He was threshing wheat in a wine press, hidden down in a valley somewhere. He's trying to thresh. What was he doing? He's hiding from his enemy. Now, here's where it's precious and wonderful. The Lord God, Jesus Christ, the, the angel of the Lord, comes on the scene. He looks at Gideon, and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What? He's not a mighty warrior. He's a wimp. He's hiding from his enemy, threshing wheat in a, in a, in a wine thread, uh, press. What's wrong with you? Guys, listen to me. You may 
not be a very good draft choice, you think. You may think God can't use you, or I'm a woman, or I'm a man, I'm a wimp, I'm a kid, whatever. You think God can't use me. You couldn't be more wrong. He sees your potential. He knows what you can do. He knows what you're, what's inside you. And if you let the Lord help and bless you, there is nothing can that stand in your way. He wasn't a mighty warrior, but as you're going to see next week, he is one of the greatest warriors that we've ever get to meet in the Bible, and he turned into that because the Lord was with him. I will be with you, it says in verse 16, 616, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Okay, I have two minutes. I'm going to finish the sermon. The Lord needs warriors today. He needs you today in the battle. We're not on the top of the cycle, folks. America's in the bottom. We're down. We need warriors. We need God to help us. You may feel weak, unworthy, but the battle is ahead, and the Lord needs you to step up and fight it. And all that matters is what God thinks of you. It doesn't matter what your folks thought, think of you, what your teachers thought of you. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of you. All that matters is what God evaluates your life to be. That's all that matters because he sees the real you. And if he's with you, nothing can stop you. So what kind of a warrior are you that, that, you, that, that God can turn into a winner? Are you a Deborah? Are you a strong woman? That God needs to, to make stronger yet and lead bigger things and do more things and lead armies to fight. Or maybe you're a Yael. You're just a little girl, a lady that wasn't kind of in the battle at all. Just kind of hanging around the house. And God sent a giant her way. What would she do? She killed him. You can kill giants. You can drive pegs through their heads if you're a Yael. Or maybe you're a Barak. Maybe you are a wimp. Maybe you're kind of a... A lady's uh, a mama's boy, and you've never stood up and done anything powerful or, or led an army. You, in fact, you may be that ineffective leader that you want to be a better leader, but you're not. But you can be if you let Christ in. Or you may be a Gideon that you're going to see as the Lord let us preach next week. A Gideon, a wimp who turned into a champion for the Lord. It's none of our business whom God chooses. Listen now, none of our business. Never underestimate a weak person. Never. Because God can do amazing things with him. And honestly, you don't have an excuse for not getting in the fight. Don't, don't use it. Just say this. Lord, here I am. Send me. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to lie to yourself. Say, Lord, here I am. Send me. I ain't much. All right, but I, but I'm, I, you got me. And go run into the battle. Because, folks, there's never been a time we need people running into the battle more than now. We've got to get in this fight or we're going to lose it in our very own nation. If a, giant, if a battle needs fighting, fight it. If a giant needs killing, kill it. Don't hide behind any fear. Let God lead you. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we come today admitting our weaknesses, <clears throat> our uniquenesses, our failures, our inadequacies, because that's who we are. We're just human. But we know the battle is ahead. We know that uh, with you, we can do anything. We can fight armies and beat up giants. It doesn't matter as long as you're with us. So, Lord, 
let's make a deal. I will decrease and you increase in my life. I want you to lead and guide and guard. Lord, today, if there's somebody that's watching this on video or here in this room that does, that does not know you as Savior, that if all their life have been too prideful or maybe just too ignorant to know who you are, they hadn't heard about you, I pray today they would let you into their life. They would open their heart and say, Jesus, please come in and save me, forgive me, change me, and make me new. And I know, Lord, you've always done that, and you always will. So, Lord, that's our prayer today, that you use us in this fight, no matter what we are or what we're not. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.